Welcome, everybody, to the Contemplating Christian. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about virtue ethics. We're talking about virtue ethics. So, this is a fascinating topic. It's a really big topic, but this might be just a, we're going to be looking at kind of one vice in particular, what's called the vice of insensibility. And that might just be kind of a, a case study to just learn more about in general what are virtue ethics. And if you're learning about this one in particular, it could help you kind of learn about virtue ethics in general. So you could think of it like that. We're going to be looking at an article from Ed Fazer, who's a Roman Catholic philosopher and has a really good blog where he just writes about different issues of theology and culture and politics and stuff like that. Um, but the vice of insensibility. I had never really heard of this before. And so it was very interesting to read about this and see what it is and why it's important to think about today. Uh, just to kind of set the stage, in virtue ethics, you have uh, basically you have virtue, and that virtue lies between two uh, excesses, um, two vices. Virtue lies between two different vices. And so on the one hand, you have a deficiency of a virtue. And then on the other hand, you have an excess of a virtue, and that makes vice. So either the deficiency or the excess creates vice. And so in this instance, we're talking about the virtue is temperance or moderation. And temperance is the virtue that governs our enjoyment of sensory pleasure. So think our enjoyment of like our appetites, things like our desire for food and drink and our sexual appetite. Uh, the thing that governs the enjoyment of those things is called temperance or moderation. So we're supposed to enjoy things in moderation. If we do them too much and if we're obsessed with them, we fall into what's called licentiousness or intemperance, and that's the vice in excess. And if we uh, have a wrongful avoidance of those things, you could say, that's called the vice of insensibility, or we're not actually partaking in those things in the proper manner, and we're, in a sense, rejecting the good things that God has given us. So that's the vice of insensibility. And you can think of it as like a, like a chain. On one hand, you have the vice, another vice, and then in the middle is the virtue, which is temperance. Samuel, any thoughts on virtue ethics as we kind of <clears throat> get into this discussion? Yeah. So everything you said is, is correct. And so the middle, thank you. The virtue, <laughs> the virtue is the golden mean, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about this stuff, what usually happens is someone dips to one extreme. Uh, so someone goes to the excess or deficiency of a virtue or of a good thing. And what happens a lot is they then overcorrect or someone overcorrects or someone overreacts and goes to the other side. So, for example, if culture a long time ago was uh, very prudish and kind of stayed away from from sex or something like that because mm -hmm. they believed like the physical body or pleasure itself wasn't necessarily a good and they shied away from it a culture later might overcorrect over and then end up focusing too much on sexual pleasure and indulge in that and then they would end up with uh, an excess right there and so mm -hmm. we kind of have to balance that out and so that's kind of how things usually go on this scale of virtue ethics. So um, an another picture to, 
to do it. I've heard a lot of people use this illustration, but it's like you're on a highway and on both sides of the highway are, are a ditch. And if you're gonna if you're heading towards one one ditch, you shouldn't overcorrect and head towards the other ditch. Um, mm -hmm. because that would still lead you into a ditch which you were trying to avoid in the first place. Um yeah, and, yeah. and if anybody's ever read Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis's famous apologetic book, uh, what Samuel is just describing is a lot like what he describes in Mere Christianity, particularly about how cu culture shifts from one one extreme to the other. You have sort of you could think of you know a very licentious culture like today. I think our culture is more licentious than insensible. It's more obsessed with sexual vice and overindulgence than it is with deficiency in that area. Mm. But think of something like Victoria, Victorian era Britain or something like that it was maybe like the other extreme when people were sh kind of ashamed to talk about these things or ashamed, uh, too ashamed to even mention different mm. sensual pleasures. And so they kind of were on one extreme. And C.S. Lewis talks about that in Mere Christianity as well. And so though it is still, I think, more common today to be licentious uh, for someone to be uh, overly obsessed and not shameful enough. Uh, to not have enough shame when it, when it comes to these topics, especially uh, sexuality. Because of our tendency, like you just talked about, Sam, our tendency of our human nature is to just smash between two extremes where we really struggle to find balance as humans. It's important to know if we're in a licentious culture, what is the opposite? What's the opposite vice that we could fall into if we're trying yeah. to not be like that? And so that's that's what we're meaning when we talk about insensibility, the vice of insensibility. Yeah. And so, well, Ed Fazer talks about this in the article, which we'll post in the description. But uh, in this, he he says that a lot of people talk about licentiousness or the excess of pleasure. They'll be like, you can't have too much of this pleasurable thing, uh, which mm -hmm. kind of causes insensibility to be forgotten. Um because someone will be like, don't have too much, find a nice balance. But then we never really talk about having too little of something, um, which is which is interesting. But to uh, start us off, uh, well, Aquinas does a lot of work on this because the golden mean in virtue ethics is, well, one, it was started all the way back with Aristotle and then Aquinas really picked it up. And then that's where uh, Catholicism also picked it up. And that's why Ed Fazer is kind of talking about this because he's Roman Catholic scholar, uh, but he uses a lot of Aquinas quotes. And so I wanted to read uh, a part of one that he has just to give us uh, a definition. So uh, he says this, accordingly, if anyone were to reject pleasure to the extent of omitting things that are necessary for nature's preservation, he would sin as acting counter to the nature, uh, to the order of nature. And this pertains to the vice of insensibility. So, kind of weird to think about but like there are certain times where if you reject something pleasurable you actually sin right yeah right and these and it's sinful because it is contrary to nature as it said um if we think about those what what are sensory pleasures so we're talking about basically food and drink and then sex and with food and drink that is re requisite for self-preservation we need to eat and drink to stay alive so somebody refusing to eat and drink uh is sinning in the sense that they're acting contrary to nature, unless it is for a specific purpose, as we'll talk about uh, in a minute. Mm -hmm. And then with the other 
sensual pleasure, our sexual appetite, that is for the preservation, not of ourselves, but for our species. So we, we need to do that to actually propagate the human species. Um, and all of that is in accordance with God's design and in accordance with nature. And so when we act contrary to nature, this is mm. kind of taking a natural law approach to ethics, then we are then um, in error or sinning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, before before we start talking specifically about uh, examples or mm-hmm. or anything like that, I think it would be good to go over the idea of uh, necessity. Um, so it talks a lot about how it would be a sin to abstain from a pleasure if it's like a necessity, uh, if it's necessary. But then he, uh, Ed Fazer also brings up the idea that there are exceptions. So we do have this general rule of, <clears throat> of moderation and temperance and not going, uh, it, like not having an excess or a deficiency. But in some cases, there are good reasons to do so. And so if there is like, if something is necessary uh, to the point where you do actually have to deny or uh, like deny one of these pleasures to attain a certain end, then it is good. So for example, uh, in fasting for spiritual practices, we actually reject food. Um, Even though the vice of insensibility uh, applies to sex, food, or specifically meat, he says, and drink. So if we're truly fasting and we reject uh, meat and drink, then that is fine because we are seeking a spiritual end. And so there are, there's like a hierarchy, but also there are exceptions. Right, totally. And yes, so he goes goes over some of these examples of um, ways in which it could be permissible to forego these sensory pleasures that are necessary for life. And he mentions, of course, fasting, the spiritual practice of fasting, but then also like there are people that have, you know, vocational duties in which duty mandates that they give up different things. Uh, Think of somebody in the military, they have to forego uh, many of these bodily appetites Uh, or say in a marriage, look at like first Corinthians seven, Paul talks about how you, um, the, uh, Spouses give up their conjugal rights for a time for the purpose of um, fasting or praying for a specific thing or something like that. So there are times to do that. And another thing I want to mention here is um, this is related to something I've heard Joe Rigney talk about. You know who Joe Rigney is, right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, But he's author, written a lot about C.S. Lewis and whatnot. And he's talked about um, basically how you have kind of a similar discussion with how we enjoy both God and his gifts. And so we can have, um, like, on the one hand, we're told to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to not love anything else, like more than God, otherwise it's idolatry. But then on the other hand, we're told to basically give thanks for the good gifts of earth. And so how do you, at the one hand, have the single-minded love of God? And on the other hand, how do you enjoy the good gifts that God has given us? And he says how it's kind of a spectrum, how you can fall on the one hand into idolatry, which would be the excess where you obsess over the gifts. That'd be like licentiousness. Then the other hand, insensibility is kind of like rejecting God's gifts. 
And that's like mm -hmm. thanklessness. So it's kind of like a parallel thing I'm seeing here. Where the virtue is you actually enjoy God through the gifts that he gives you. You don't idolize them or reject them. So I kind mm -hmm. of see a related concept there. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah. I actually, yeah, I've never heard that before, first thing. And and two, I really like that. There's this um, there's this idea, if there is an excess, remember, that doesn't necessarily, so when we say excess and deficiency, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's like a very, very small amount of pleasure or there's a deficient amount of pleasure. When it's talking about deficiency, a lot of times it's talking about actually just rejecting or going away from something that is supposed to be good and pleasurable. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when it comes to excess, it's not necessarily saying that uh, they're seeking too much pleasure, but they're seeking it too much. Right. right. So there's, there's a very uh, small change in the word order there, but it's based upon like the frequency and how much it's controlling your life or anything like that. Because I mean, it, it also talks about that when we find this balance, it doesn't mean to try and like find these like blessings God gives us very pleasurable. It actually mm -hmm. wants us to find it very pleasurable, pleasurable, right? Mm -hmm. But we shouldn't start doing that too much or it would become something like idolatry, right? Right. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not that um, those who are licentious have too much pleasure. That's correct. It is that it's in the wrong measure or in the wrong degree or in the wrong mm -hmm. manner, something like that. It's, it's ripped out of its proper context. And so, yeah, I mean, like I, I, I like the idea of Christian hedonism that, that John Piper puts out and the idea that, uh, when we are most satisfied or we find the most pleasure in God, that means God is most glorified. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And so that's Christian hedonism in his words. And it's this idea that we, the actual goal of the Christian life is to find our highest happiness, our highest satisfaction, our highest pleasure in God himself. And mm -hmm. so it's not a matter of they have too much pleasure. It's that it's in the wrong context or in the wrong manner. Um, something like that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, okay. Talking about this actually made wow. me think of another thing from C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. um, in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, he actually does talk about uh, like disordered appetites and disordered uh, and specifically with like pleasures, like disordered pleasures. Um, and he, well, I think it's a mere Christianity, but he talks about this idea of like uh, with sex, he, he compares it with uh, food and our desire to eat. And he said, it would definitely be disordered if we like took, a, a platter of food out on a stage and like slowly re like unveiled it and then mm -hmm. people just like watched because they were so hungry or they were so starving for the correct pleasure that you know like food or meat gives you and so mm -hmm. like i mean if you think about it these virtuous things uh when we have an uh when it's either insensible or if we have an excess of it and we're licentious with it, it produces a lot of disordered behaviors and mm. thoughts and everything like that. And I mean, on, on specifically what C.S. Lewis was talking about, he was comparing it with, with sex. And so we, we, we could say that, um, 
we have a licentious uh, sexual drive in our culture right now, which has caused many disordered or chaotic actions and thoughts within the culture itself um, mm-hmm. to the point where a lot of people might not think it's ridiculous right now, but from the outside perspective, it would look ridiculous. So, I mean, for the, for the most part, I would say a lot, a lot of us have a normal uh, uh, or are temperate with food. So when we hear the example of like unveiling uh, a platter of food, it sounds ridiculous. And we, we know that, but if we lived in a culture where we were just completely disordered with food, that it actually not sound too ridiculous. All right. And Phaser actually talks about how that in a sense, we do have some of that in our culture, the idea of like foodies or um, people that just have a strange yeah. obsession with food to the extent where they kind of center their entire lives around it and the enjoyment mm-hmm. of it and the presentation of it. And it's, it, it goes past an art form into a, a sort of a weird obsession. And you certainly see like the more people get into that, the more there is almost a, like a quasi sexual component <laughs> to it when people mm-hmm. are in it, like the idea of unveiling a steak in this sort of obsessive manner is not mm-hmm. that unheard of. Like that's, you could go on social media and find that for sure. Um, yeah. Anyway, going off that there's uh this idea and we talked about it recently and when we were talking about augustine and community he talked about Mm. how our vices are almost always in the company of other people so we often sin in the company of others shared vice and how that's just who we are as communal creatures and on the flip side uh, our virtue is often in community with others just kind of hinting at that more that we are communal creatures Uh, we're not meant to be alone and uh-huh. this idea is that all of our shared pleasures, this um, this virtue of temperance, when we have like right desire for food and drink, it is often the height of that, the culmination of it is with other people. So like a good meal or enjoying a good drink or, um, of course, sex is with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're all communal activities at their best. Yeah. And our, yeah, yeah, I was going to go to the foodies thing. I mean, now that you yeah. think about it, um, I mean, we could say that maybe we're even starting to get uh, an excess of of food. Like uh, we're, we're seeking food too much because, I mean, people do have like full Instagrams just of their mm-hmm. food or they'll, they'll um, set up food just to take a picture of it and then not even eat it. They won't even eat the food. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I've seen people just make food looks delicious take a picture of it and then they throw it away uh or something like that and that's a that's a waste so that would mean we have an excess amount of food but also perhaps we are excessively seeking food both yeah i just think that's interesting that's definitely i think a a potential danger we need to look out for especially Mm -hmm. with the yeah, just the way social media magnifies those different things. But yeah. yeah. If you're a foodie, we're sorry. But <laughs> right. I can spend lots of time watching watching steak cooking videos on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. um yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, now I I, I want to make a another point, not necessarily off of this, but just like in the article and on the topic of of all this. So we talked about uh, pleasures and balancing them and the golden mean. And we talked about all this stuff. And then we also talked about 
uh, necessity? Is it necessary? Um, or is it like, uh, we could also say like primary. Hmm. And so, uh, well, yes, uh, there, there are certain times when uh, something is out of necessity, whether abstaining from something or actually indulging in something. Um, so another thing, though, is some of these pleasurable things are a little bit more questionable about like whether it's necessary to um, enjoy, let's, let's say, food again. Um, and one of these uh, secondary things would be like taste and smell. Because mm -hmm. I mean, if I made myself a steak, but didn't make it super well, and then just had a glass of water, that would still satisfy me. Mm -hmm. But if a chef like made me a really tasty steak, and then I also got like uh, some type of flavored drink instead of just a glass of water, um, well, that's going to be even more pleasurable. And so there are these secondary things that make things more pleasurable because then I can smell it, I can taste it, or when I taste it, it'll be even better. But it's it's not required. Mm -hmm but it makes it more pleasurable and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So some, some of these pleasures can be sought out uh, mm -hmm. to make things more pleasurable, but th that doesn't mean that you're seeking too much pleasure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's a good point to point out. He's not talking about when he talks about necessity, he doesn't mean in this very strict sense of um, yeah. Like as soon as you have exactly what you need to survive, then it's no longer then you're like sinning mm -hmm. if you go any anywhere past that. That's not what Aquinas is talking about. And in the Old Testament, God always takes the fat portions of the animal sacrifices, mm -hmm. which is always the most flavorful. So just a thought. <laughs> a good fatty yeah. steak is sometimes that's a necessary thing. Yeah. So one one last thing I want to talk about as well is this idea of if you think about like Jesus Christ. He is the um, well, he's God. We're Christians. We believe Jesus Christ is God. But with that, he is the like perfect man. He's the ideal human being that comes into the world. And he's this perfect balance of like wisdom and justice and truth and grace and mercy and love and also wrath. And he's the perfect balance of all of those things. And so if you're mm -hmm. like, if you measured up all of like virtue ethics and you listed all of, uh, of Aristotle's virtues and you gave the golden mean, then Jesus would be like, He'd be the exact golden mean in all of those. And so if you like really took these principles seriously, uh, virtue ethics very seriously, then I think you'd have to say that Jesus is like the golden mean incarnate. He is like that, mm. that principle of perfect morality and perfect virtue incarnate in a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really cool way to think about kind of Christianity and virtue ethics and how Jesus kind of, he is the ideal that we're striving for. And how even secular, or not secular, but uh, pagan thinkers of the past, like Aristotle, very wise man, uh, knew that. Like he knew that there was this ideal to strive for, this golden mean. And we see that actually fulfilled in the person of Jesus, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would just critique that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree with the general idea. And I actually haven't really thought about this a lot because I... Uh, I just learned about it when Will you told me like uh, right before we started recording this. But Jesus as the golden mean, I, I agree. But I'm pretty sure that we have to. I think we might have to edit um, Aristotle uh, 
because I'm pretty sure Thomas Aquinas also edited him. As then I think he he had this general idea of all these golden means and balances and stuff, but I think he labeled or incorrectly evaluated a couple of them. So hmm. I mean, uh like a long time ago with uh with Greeks and Romans and stuff, uh the idea of like being humble or something like that was actually seen as a as a vice and and not the golden mean because they would see as that as a deficiency and then uh i don't know like maybe I, i'm not exactly sure the scale but let's say like pride was the golden mean like being being proud and then uh like the excess might be um just like boastful or something like that where they they got things slightly wrong whereas uh, like being humble would be the golden mean, and then like uh, self-deprecation would be would be the deficiency, and pride would be the excess there. So right, yeah, yeah. that's that's a very good point, and I think you're exactly right that Aristotle's list of virtues and vices is not infallible, and is coming from a, I would say a, a man who's not regenerate, who's not he's a fallen man, um, mm. and so he and he he doesn't have the same value system that Christianity imposes, one that exalts humility, one that mm -hmm. exalts uh, weakness, even a dependence on another dependence on God and love for neighbor, love for your enemy. These are counter counter human counterintuitive virtues that Christianity mm -hmm. imposes. So they definitely need to be reworked. But just if you take the simple idea of if you think the idea is valid of there's a virtue in between two vices, that simple idea, I think mm -hmm. that that's a work, workable idea that Christianity can take on. Then yeah. I think we can talk about Jesus as the golden mean incarnate with yeah. some qualifications, maybe. Yeah, with some qualifications. And so I would agree with that. And <clears throat> for Jesus being this golden mean, I mean, we can go over. I mean, he he pra he practices exactly what we were talking about. So, I mean, he never from from the uh, writings we have about his life. So the Gospels. We never see him go in excess to something but also we don't see something uh deficient as in he is always well balanced he's never over correcting himself in one way or the other he's always doing doing things perfectly and mm -hmm. he he is also enjoying secondary things um that aren't necessarily required for for human uh yeah. deficiency uh this this might be an example but one example that just came into my head was like when uh um when someone poured perfume on him and mm. I mean, that was obviously pleasing in, in some sense, but uh, he didn't like shy away from it. Also, it might've had spiritual significance as well. So there's that. But then also when he was like fasting in the desert, uh, that was a spiritual reason why he was uh, willingly rejecting or abstaining from food. That's usually seen as a necessity for human pleasure and uh, for the human race to continue. Totally. Yeah. And we see him engage in, you know, different festivities and holidays and parties and he drinks wine, he engages in food and all these different things. So mm -hmm. he's taking part in these um, bodily appetites, but he's doing it perfectly. Mm -hmm. So anyway, those are just some thoughts we have on virtue ethics and the virtue of moderation. We want to live our lives in moderation, the balance between two vices. We don't want to be rejecting God's gifts. 
yeah. being thankless for them, but we also don't want to idolize them. And Jesus, he is the perfect man. And that's who we're trying to be like. So this has been yeah. our thoughts on uh, the vice of insensibility. Hope you guys enjoyed it. This has been the Contemplating yeah. Christian. And if you uh, want to support us in any way, feel free to check out the description and read that article as well. It is always, uh, always find profitable stuff on Ed Fazer's blog. So yep. thanks for your support and God bless. God bless. Thank you.